Welcome to Casual Citizen, Season 2, Episode 3. This is an ongoing series about Star Citizen by Cloud Imperium Games. And I'm your host, Alyssiana from alyssianasworld.com. This week's show topics include discussions about the importance of loot and MMOs, the genesis of space whales, limited fast travel, and birdcage, the next short story in my Pod City the Fallen fan fiction collection. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The casual citizen night bus is exiting stasis. Please secure all personal items. This episode is leaving the station in three, two, one. Begin transmission. The importance of game loot in MMOs. A longtime fan and subscriber to Salty Mike on Twitch, I've been ambivalent to his strong feelings on the importance of looting in Star Citizen. I plan to occasionally participate in organized PvP events and NPC combat only when absolutely necessary. The majority of my time will be spent exploring the specialty professions, such as data courier, data hacking, running a hospital, food production, base building, RP-styled commercial transport, and a traveling bazaar. How will I make time to divide my attention across all of these professions? Well, one thing I'll be doing is a 30 Days As series that does a deep dive into each. After that, I'll rotate between what I've enjoyed best. After all, I plan to play Star Citizen for years, giving me time to savor each. Most of the time Mike mentioned looting, it was in relation to combat, which isn't why I back Star Citizen. NPC combat and PvP are nothing new to the MMO genre. I've been doing that for years, even in a spaceship owed to EVE Online. What's new and unique beyond the planned scope of the universe are the specialty professions, which is what I back to do. Hence, whether or not NPCs or players drop loot wasn't a concern. That is, until I played the New World Closed Beta, and now I've seen the light on looting. It's pretty standard fare for NPCs and players to drop loot when killed. I like New World's compromise of generating a loot drop when a player is killed versus them losing one of their own. Still, it's the standard expectation of killing equals one or more items dropped. What New World does extremely well, which is what changed my mind about the importance of loot caches, is that they're populated all over the world in logical places. If you're in an area that is farmland, you should expect to see crops that can be collected. In villages, towns, encampments, there should be supplies. Where there are humanoids, we should see the artifacts of life, and we do in New World. No matter how many times I'd already crossed through a zone, and this is on foot, mind you, I took the time to steal crops and loot crates. Even as a higher level player traversing a lower zone, the contents have value. More importantly, there is very little trash loot other than white gear, which is still necessary for salvaging repair parts. There are no let me sell this crap out of my inventory items. There is a nice percentage of green items in the loot caches, ones that were of high enough tier 
to be upgrades or nice starters to try out a new weapon. As I was running around grabbing caches for the umpteenth time, never tiring of the activity, it dawned in me what Mike likely meant. There are opportunities to add reasons to explore, risk combat, and revisit areas due to loot caches alone. If the loot tables are done well, I would engage in combat to defeat a ship and see what loot I could collect just like I did in EVE Online. I would risk engaging in FPS, something I suck at, in order to loot caches exactly like I did in New World. However, if it's going to be common crap, then I'll pass. I don't need crap to sell for credits. I can earn that mining, which is at least something I find relaxing. I do it for cool looking gear, but it would have to be a step up from the subscriber models, which I haven't really enjoyed to date. I remember going out of my way in World of Warcraft to loot caches, and they usually had middling content, but it was something fun to do while I was out exploring. New World has made them a core mechanic and I can definitely get behind that in Star Citizen if done in a similar vein and value. The recent CIG discussion on the topic didn't go far enough to inspire me to really care about loot because it can be poorly done. I won't care about loot for the sake of loot. The items need to be meaningful and valued for their use and utility, not their cash conversion, or many of us will simply pass. We can make money in other ways. I really do hope it's not the paradigm we witness in most other MMOs where what you find amounts to vendor trash. If that was the plan, they've plenty of opportunity to shift gears and come up with a better implementation. I enjoyed braving the PvP at Korea to loot caches when they were there, or take a missile to the face looting the abandoned wrecks. That poke around and find stuff while you're exploring is largely gone from the PU. I hope it comes back with a bang when it returns. How much do you care about obtaining random loot? What games have done loot caches well in your opinion? Let me know in the comments. The Genesis of Space Whales If you're relatively new to Star Citizen, you might be wondering, what's all this Space Whales nonsense? Let's take a look at a joke that became a thing and is now represented as a sculpture on Orison and will one day live among the clouds of Crusader. Space whales, called Stormwall, are flying creatures native to the atmosphere of Crusader, a gas giant in the Stanton star system. The Stormwall haven't been implemented in-game yet, however, you can find a beautiful sculpture of one on the Cloudview Center platform in Arison. You can also hear a subtle but amazing haunting whale-like soundscape in the area. From the Star Citizen Tools Wiki, the Stormwall, called Space Whales by the designers, is a flying creature that lives in the atmosphere above Crusader. The animal currently only exists in concept. Its implementation was confirmed in 2020 by writer Dave Haddock. According to the concept art, the carcass of a space whale is approximately 100 meters long. They are hunted because their body produces a highly valuable resource. The sculpture in Cloudview Center is by Bipasha Zhu. Cutting a stark contrast against the vibrant sky, 
The sweeping lines of Orison's signature Stormwell sculpture captures the grace and beauty of the gentle creatures it portrays. Formerly titled, until again, artist Bipasha Zhu says that she was inspired by the city's harmony and weightless strength. To better understand her bashful subjects, Bipasha spent a week living in a cloud submersible studying the Stormwalls up close. End quote. The Galactopedia also mentions the Stormwall. Orison is a city based on a series of interconnected floating platforms located in the upper atmosphere of Crusader, also known as Stanton II. Originally constructed by the United Empire of Earth Navy to provide repair facilities for their capital ships, Crusader Industries looked at the existing infrastructure as an ideal location for their commercial shipbuilding operations. Over time, as the city drifts from its position, it must be occasionally moved into safe orbit by synchronized firing of large thrusters built into each platform. Due to the gas giant, Crusader's natural beauty, and the presence of unique fauna, such as the Stormwell, Orison has become a popular tourist destination for visitors to the Stanton system. End quote. I distinctly remember watching the episode of Happy Hour Game Dev where the space whale made its first appearance in October 2017. That was back when I consumed every morsel of content, eagerly anticipating a playable game within a few years. By the time an update surfaced on Star Citizen Week in Review in March 2020, I'd forgotten all about them. Having burned out on hearing about content so far into the future after backing in 2014, I was no longer consuming the weekly shows. Now it's 2021, and we have the sculptural manifestation of the space whale. As frustrated as I generally am now about the lack of progress toward implementing the many features that are still AFK and the associated specialized ships we back that are flyable but not fit for purpose for years after they were introduced, it can't be denied that the Stormwall Fountain in Cloudview Center is inspiring. And combined with the soundscape from Pedro Camacho, pure fantasy bliss. A feast for the eyes, imagination, and the soul. So yes, I still get sucked into the dream. I can see myself in an exploration or luxury touring ship floating around Crusader Stormwall watching, taking pictures, capturing video, writing stories, and entertaining guests. This is why we're all still around, bumps, bruises, and all. There is nothing on the horizon that comes remotely close to the dream that is Star Citizen. I dream of whales. A distant call echoes beloved memories. I dream of whales. Seized by the could that will never be, flailing, I'm falling, adrift on a foaming sea. Your light ripples below me, a sound, a gasp, inhale the rising tide, your hand beneath me, I dream of whales. Other Worlds Limited Fast Travel The options for fast travel are very limited in New World, and I hope they stay that way. You have the typical check into an inn that you can travel back to hourly. You can portal to any city that you visited if you have enough Azoth, the element that fuels magic in New World. There are also portals near the forts that also cost Azoth. 
Azoth is earned by completing missions and is capped at 1,000 units, which yield around three quick travel opportunities. However, Azoth is used in other more important endeavors, such as changing your spec after level 20. It's also an optional component when crafting weapons and armor to enhance the outcome. These two alone make spending it on fast travel a little questionable in my book. The idea of walking across the New World map wasn't inspiring. I remember the tediousness of doing that in vanilla World of Warcraft before I had my first mount, and how everyone worked really hard to get that mount to avoid walking even though we had griffin flight routes, mages with portals, and warlocks who could summon. In New World, I've run from one end of the map to the other, and it rarely bothers me. Let me tell you why. If you've followed me from when I only blog, you'll know that a pet peeve of mine is game worlds heavily populated by animal zones. The empty spaces they use as filler in between towns where far too many quests take place. Even when the zones vary in look and feel, they're still just empty zones, which makes them boring to traverse. What New World does really well out of the gate, and what World of Warcraft eventually did to great effect, is to place humanity in more locations outside of the cities and the primary questing zones. Towns, outposts, villages, and scattered dwellings with humanoids bring life to secondary and tertiary zones. It creates activity in those areas due to the NPCs populating them. Whether they are friendly or foe, it makes the world appear and feel more alive. If they're foes, it creates tension and combat encounters while traversing them. Include elites, and now there's additional risk cutting across zones. The inclusion of well-designed loot cache systems makes the trek entertaining and rewarding. There are no speed boosts in New World, outside of a few skills on specific weapons, none of which I use as a healer. And yet, I never felt burdened by the limited fast travel and getting to most places on foot. I occasionally use the portals that consume Azoth, but not often. Crafting components require explicit farming. Loot caches drop valued items, as do the NPCs. Even animal skinning always, always drops meat that is needed for cooking. Therefore, I'm rarely only running from one place to the next. You encounter so much content, even though it's repetitive, before I know it, I've arrived at my destination. I don't want mounts in New World. Mounts will add complications to World PvP, and although that's not a focus for me, I do participate in organized groups. I'm also fine with the Azoth cap, but that depends on how big the world will be after release. I'm not one to race to the end. I like to explore and savor the journey. Similarly, I am fine with the travel times in Star Citizen. For me, it's part of the adventure, not an element to be skipped. Space is big, size should matter, and so should travel time. Pod City The Fallen is a short story collection inspired by Star Citizen lore and planned in-game mechanics. The stories featured in this season share a common theme of rebirth, taking control of your own destiny. 
The characters in this season are all moving toward Pod City, where they will share a collective fate and storyline in season three. So without further ado, Casual Citizen season two, episode three short story is called Birdcage by Alyssiana Noir. Birdcage. Seen from Earth, brilliant halo rings twinkle in the night sky, reminders of humanity's growth as an interstellar species. Although Earth remains the official seat of power for the United Empire of Earth, it has its rivals, such as Terra, for good reasons. Like a busted engine, governing from Earth is ploddingly slow and steeped in pointless bureaucracy. Dr. Anu Jadani has lived aboard one of the first-generation habitat rings shining above Earth's night sky for three years. She arrived shortly after completing her doctorate in botany. Unfortunately, her excitement about winning the position with Northrop Grumman Innovation Systems waned. Her conviction to live in outer space did not. The only home she's ever known besides Earth, the Genesis Omega Pod Ring is a sterile compact existence. Omega was the second commerce station placed in orbit between Earth and Luna. Considered experimental in its early days, the design is now the de facto standard for constructing low-cost moderate-sized stations and habitat rings. Resembling a bicycle wheel, the station's perimeter is surrounded by environmentally secure spheres capable of serving as temporary escape pods. The rim functions as shared corridor access. The spokes, passageways to the launch pads, communal spaces, and utility service areas. Life aboard Omega is no frills and brutally minimalistic. Anuja looked up from her microscope and groaned. She had a crick in her neck, and her back ached. Her temples throbbed, warning signs of an impending migraine. She reached for the lukewarm bulb of tea on the lab table and sipped as she reflected on her imminent departure. Her stomach gurgled at the thought. She inhaled a long, steadying breath. You're doing the right thing, she reminded herself. She rolled her shoulders and arched her back to loosen the stress anchored there. She put her tea down and leaned over as if to start work again but abruptly stopped. I can't think straight today. She sighed out loud. Anuja was small in stature, barely reaching five feet. Her dark brown skin contrasted dramatically with her genetically modified light gray eyes. Thick jet black hair that reached her hips was plaited and twisted into a tight coil at the back of her head. She had her mother's broad nose and full lips. A delicate rose gold nose chain connected the piercing in her left nostril to her left earlobe. A cultural adornment she refused to discard, even in space. The voice of her lab partner, Dr. Alan Holson, echoed across the room. You should take a break, he said. There was a concerned tone in his voice, but he stayed head down, and I planted on his microscope. Tall, pale, with an angular face and warm brown eyes, he'd been Anuja's co-worker and friend since she'd arrived. While he spoke, his hands continued deftly, manipulating the sample in the Petri dish under his scope. At this pace, you're going to leave a wreck. Not an ideal start, he admonished. Anuja made a face at the remark. She wanted to focus. 
squaring her shoulders, she set her mind to completing the experiments she'd outlined for the shift. Her departure was near at hand, and she was filled with a mixture of excitement, anxiety, and regret. Regardless, she was determined to leave her post in excellent shape. She wouldn't allow her concerns to affect her work. Then, just as she was about to tell Dr. Holson as much, the lab door swished open. Grixon entered the room, his heavy steps clacking as he marched across the threshold. He looked Amnuja up and down without speaking, then continued over to Alan. Are the cross-pollinated samples going to be ready on time? He swiped across his data pad and shoved a holographic work order in Alan's face. I've already arranged for a buyer demonstration. Alan pulled back and crooked his head toward Anjua. Dr. Dani's working those. It's her schedule as the lab manager, he reminded Gregson. In a lowered voice but not hushed enough that his words didn't carry in the confined space, Gregson said, you'll be senior when she's gone. He left a weighted pause before continuing, unless you're saying you're not up to running the lab? What happens in her absence has no bearing on today. Questions about that work order should be directed to her. Without waiting for a reply, Alan returned to his microscope. Gregson screwed up his mouth as though he'd smelled something foul when he turned to Anuja. Anuja, who'd watched the whole exchange, was leaning against her lab table, arms folded, watching the pair. Head tipped to the side and an arched eyebrow, she stared at him, refusing to make it easy for him to transition the conversation to her. Huffing, Gregson took a few steps in her direction. His tone was demanding as he said, this must be on time. I have strategic buyers coming. They'll be ready. We've never missed a deadline before. Not sure why we'd miss one now. He scoffed, with your personal distractions, he emphasized the word personal, we need to be certain. She turned her back, dismissing him, and fiddled with items on the lab table. No need. Gregson looked between Anuja and Alan, a look of disdain on his face. Good to know. He turned away from the pair and quickly exited the lab. A long silence followed his departure. Anuja and Alan worked on opposite sides of the small circular lab. Two rows of floor-to-ceiling hydroponic chambers separated their workstations. Anuja looked up from her pretense. She could see Alan's distorted image through the liquid-filled tubes. Her voice mingled with the constant white noise of the station's rumbling life support system, humming air filters and bubbling of the fluid in the hydro chamber. I certainly won't miss that guy and his BS. Without looking up, Alan replied, they're mad you're leaving before they could leech more patents out of you. Maybe, she said. It's not like they haven't gotten their money's worth. We're barely more than rats in a cage up here. Working 70 plus hour weeks for what? Not like we're working to save lives or anything. She returned to her work once again, attempting to focus. She reviewed the same calculations for the third time. A few minutes ticked by before she gave up the charade. Finally, unable to concentrate, she gave up trying. She walked across the pod to Alan's workspace. When she reached his table, she casually inspected the colorful array of specimens he had in the grow rack beside him. 
He, too, was trying his best to stay on task. Still can't believe you're going. If I didn't know you, I'd say you were insane. He paused. As king of the universe, I've decided you should stay. She laughed. Not going to lie. It feels crazy. Leave in a few days, and I'm only half-packed. She took the liberty of lounging against Alan's station and looked around the room. But I can't keep doing this. The word this was said in a tone of distaste. The sarcasm in Alan's voice was thick. You mean engineering horticulture only the insanely rich can afford, wasn't your life plan? She punched him in the shoulder. Hey, now. He put down the scalpel and tweezers and looked up. I despise grafting these ridiculous combos. It's proving a pain in the ass. He rubbed at his bloodshot eyes. I don't want to deal with being written up for a waste violation. That would really piss me off. Anuja looked up at Alan as he stood there, his hands shoved into the side pockets of the starched knee-length white lab coat they were required to wear. White walls. White suites. Grey floors. Clear chambers. Sometimes, Anuja thought she'd go mad from the banality of it all. When she spoke, her voice was soft and carried a measure of intimacy. Then don't. Don't deal with it. Come with me. Alan moved forward and gently rubbed his hands up and down her arms. When she hugged herself to him, he massaged Anuja's back while her head rested on his chest. We've been over this. He hesitated before continuing. A hint of regret crept into his voice. That's a way off for me. Too far from my parents, at this stage in their lives. Half-joking, he added, it's also in the boonies of terror. Not at all near the planet. Out in the wilds isn't for me. I'm a middle-class geek who wants a tiny taste of space. He explained. I'm sampling all I can handle. At least for now. Anuja pulled back and looked directly into his eyes. This? Her voice was incredulous. You can hardly call this space. It's a monotone silicon cage. Outside the window, I mean, if we had any windows, it's definitely space. He shrugged. This show pony work isn't my ideal either, but... He dropped his hands to his sides. I'm okay with the boundaries for now. He walked around her and went to the hydro chambers on his side of the lab. A small tree floated inside the first container, its leaves billowing gently. He lifted a datapad he'd left clamped to the side. Using it as a guide, he adjusted the settings on the unit. You have to admit she's a beauty. Alan smiled at the hybrid Rockus excelsa, Prunus persica, and Citrus sinensis. His experiment combined the air-purifying properties of the Rockus, commonly called the Lady Palm, with a fruit that had the texture and sweetness of a peach and the high vitamin C of multiple oranges without the acidic side effect. Anuja moved closer for a better look. It was exquisitely eerie, she admitted to herself. The broadleaf fan palm was squat with a dense covering of long leaves that narrowed to points. Sturdy fruit bearing branches sprouted from the top. She understood the allure. It would certainly brighten any spot against the scuffed white interiors of her sleeping quarters while aromatically cleaning the air. 
Still, anyone who could afford it probably had digital paintings, full-wall video screens, and windows. Fuck those people, she thought to herself. But, to Alan, she said, it's gorgeous. I'll give you that. And functional. You came all this way to do that? He turned to her, no, I didn't. He moved back to his work table and examined the specimen samples lined up near his microscope. I won't be here forever. He picked up a bushy purple plant and examined its root hairs. We don't have to be here forever. I'm saving up and investing safely. One day, we'll have our own lab. Anu just scoffed. We'll never afford anything in a populated high security sector. Ever. She waved her hand as if pushing his statement aside. Her tone was a matter of fact. Get serious, Alan. To avoid resource harvesting conflicts in hotly contested asteroid belts, the government had established collection rights laws. And to appease citizen outrage over the idea that the 1% would also become the masters of space, the Homesteading Act, HSA, was passed. The HSA decreed that 25% of all belt resources belonged to the public. Land claims were granted on a first-come, first-served basis after proving the location had been manned and operated for 14 consecutive months. Laws also restricted the size and quantity of claims held by one person or corporation within a single beltway. Despite the government's good intentions, it turned out that without establishing government subsidies, building a permanent residence or business inside an asteroid belt hadn't proved feasible for the masses. The cost of flight training, purchasing, and outfitting a ship, the bare minimum to get started, was out of reach for most civilians and small businesses. A lucky few were profitable independent operators and homesteaders, while the vast majority leased equipment at profit-draining prices. Alan shrugged. I won't know unless I try. Turning back to Anuja, he said pointedly, it just requires patience. More than one of us has, it seems. The Frontier and HSA claims won't last forever. I want to be where people are pushing the boundaries and helping them do it. Providing affordable and healthy sustenance, not luxury conversation pieces. They are functional. Not just showpieces, he replied. Besides, we've plenty of time. Based on the last cartography reports, Herschel HSA land claims aren't even at 15% of the allotment. Why do you need to go as far as Terra? His voice rose slightly. That 16 days aboard a decent commercial transport. Only four on the bullet, she corrected. I thought you didn't support IDENT's policies? You're going to ride their transport? They're the only ticket in town for using the acceleration gate. As if they didn't already have too much leverage, Anuja grumbled. That jump point discovery has only made it worse. It's their discovery. I certainly don't want anyone telling me what to do with anything of mine when the time comes. Begrudgingly she conceded his point. I get that, but this. Being a corporate shill isn't why I came out here. I was too naive and why died at first. Now, I know what I want, and this isn't it. The chamber fell silent, except for the ever-present ambience. 
Alan stopped fiddling with the items on his station. He wasn't getting anything accomplished. You're right in that regard. My musings of living out here were about being free. I can't say what I found here meets that expectation or how they sold it when they offered me a job. Anuja was still standing by the hydro chambers. He joined her there. We're still better off than many. He kissed her forehead. I need a situation somewhere between all and nothing. Anuja reached out and clasped his hand. Trust me. I get it. This is a me thing, she admitted. I'm terrified of this choice but can't shake it either. She dropped his hand and rubbed her temples. Alan reached out and gently drew his index finger across her eyebrows, smoothing the furrowed lines he saw there. I understand, he sighed. I felt the distraction and distance. I'm worried about you. Out there alone. I won't be alone. Well, not completely alone. Sheepishly she continued, I have a job at a growing station, Pod City. And it comes with a room and board. So you said, he replied, shaking his head. A Pod City? City of Pods? I'm baffled by your choice. Sounds a lot like here. Pod Ring. Pod City. It's the opposite of here. She defended. It's privately owned and all employees have a stake in the company. It's more like an alliance of similar-minded professionals who want to serve the frontier community. I see. So you can all starve and die together? Sounds like a cult. He rolled his eyes. Anuja jabbed him in the stomach. Not like that at all. They both laughed. Just teasing, he said. But. I'm still worried. Me too. She admitted in a whisper. I'd like to say I'd follow you anywhere but. I get it. Then, with a heavy sigh, she said, this isn't love. It is, he offered. I'm not going anywhere. Nothing between us needs to change. A lump of heaviness left Anuja's chest. Their choices weren't a betrayal of each other. She was going alone, but she wasn't losing a friend. Alan would be there for her through the uncertain and risky road ahead. She'd at least have that much. Always friends, she said. He added with a warm smile, more than that, I hope. He pulled her in close. You go do what you need to do. You have a place wherever I am if things don't work out. Teasing, she replied, or you can join me when you get tired of this place. He laughed. That closes out another episode of Casual Citizen and Night Bus. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel and dropping a comment or a like to help raise the visibility so others can find their way here. Take care until next time and fly safe. This is Alyssiana signing off until next time. The Casual Citizen Night Bus is entering stasis. Please collect all personal items and disembark safely, entering stasis in 3, 2, 1. End transmission.